Hello and welcome to another installment of Conf T with URSE. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco certified partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young. Joining me today is Brian Boyd. How you doing, Brian? Doing well, Brian. Excited to be here. Yes, yes. We are back from our week-long excursion at um, Cisco Impact in Las Vegas. And uh, normally what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but we uh, we did record a few things that we thought were of interest to our listeners. And uh, we're going to bring them to you live here. So one of the big things, I don't know, did you get a, a chance to go down to the hub a lot? Oh, yeah, of course. Really cool. It was. Uh, it w- I was very impressed with the amount of uh, the, the the IoT presence was just outrageous this year. Uh, in fact, I spent most of my time there, and we've got quite a few clips here of a of a few pieces from the various uh, parts of that of that section in the what we call the hub, um, which is basically just kind of like an expo setup where everyone's got their own booth and they're talking about a specific technology. So let's dive right into that. And uh, we'll come back with uh, any commentary that we have. So I'm here with uh, Albert Mitchell. Uh, we're here in the uh, IoT section of the uh, of um, Impact here today in the Hub, and there is a lot of stuff going on. I'm I am shocked at just how big this section is. So um, walking around here, one of the things we're in front of here is uh, Extended Enterprise. Um, I'd love to hear uh, more about that. Okay. So what we're doing with Extended Enterprise is trying to get the word out to our sales folks. Customers are bringing about and attaching more things. We keep hearing about IoT and things coming on. And it's different in the business world than it is at home. And it, the things show up as um, cameras, uh, HVAC systems, badge readers, parking sensors. They come about in these kinds of things. And so what we're seeing is enterprise administrators, network administrators, are having to manage projects whereby they have to connect things, right? Uh, oftentimes outdoors. So what we're talking about here is if you have a project that has to go outdoors, you have to manage a warehouse, you have to manage a parking lot, or you have a distribution center, you have remote mobile assets out there you have to manage, that we have products that are being managed by DNAC or SD-WAN with vManage that roll right into that. Uh, it's the same ISR, Catalyst-type products with features and functionality that you know and love for your enterprise, but they can now be used and deployed across more uh, environments, ruggedized or industrialized products, using the same uh, vManage or DNA Center applications to manage and host. So it's all about processes and features and functionality is the same, allowing you to extend your connectivity and use the same tools. Wow, so it, it literally means extending the enterprise. It literally means extending the enterprise, and that is, exactly. So now you have to manage a warehouse, while it means you, you can't put a catalyst in there that requires you know, fans and only has like a limited operating temperature, and you can expand your operating temperature, you can put it in the heat or the cold, and still use DNAC or whatever processes or tools you're using to manage those things, right? So. That's huge, and as, as we go towards the automated network and, and, and um, stuff like that, especially with, with DNAC, we are, it's, it's, it becomes a problem when you have to try to manage two different tools, right? You have the IE ruggedized uh, environment that would have to be managed on something else. Um, and then of course, Catalyst inside. So this is really kind of marrying that to and extending the enterprise out into the uncarpeted areas. Because invariably your customers are going to have these projects that they have to extend connectivity. Things are everywhere. It's going outside the carpeted space. And we definitely have the products and the solutions to provide that solution. 
the IoT world, we often think of it as, as we have our own pin, right? Place and network. We have switching, routing, wireless, security. We have our own firewalls. We have software solutions that are focused more on the non-enterprise aspects of things. Um, so we have our own little, little Cisco uh, within IoT, yeah. It is its own little bubble, but it, it, it sounds like we're starting to kind of merge them together a little bit. Yeah, and especially, and this is where the it's merging first, right? And, and our biggest customer base is enterprise, and that's where we're merging first. And so this is where we are trying to communicate us to, if you will, if I could paraphrase, that we have our products are manageable by the enterprise processes and systems and solutions. They're working with our, I say ours, and the IoT industrialized routing and switching products as well. Very cool, very cool. All right, well, I want to thank you very much for your time and I appreciate it. You're welcome, Brian. Have a nice day. All right, so I'm here with Mirko. We're standing at the IoT Edge Computing Made Easy booth uh, here in the hub. And uh, Mirko, uh, tell me a little bit about what Edge Computing, uh, IoT Edge Computing, is all about. Sure. So IoT Edge Computing is by us integrated in different platforms. We build industrial routers that host edge computing, industrial switches, and industrial wireless access point as well that host edge computing. So we can combine the functionality of the network device with an edge compute device as well. So it's a single device that can do simple applications at the edge as well as networking functions. And the newest platform we have now is an industrial compute platform because we see that some customers have a more need for strong applications, therefore they need more, uh, more CPU and memory resources at the edge. This is why we've now built a dedicated industrial compute platform for those use cases as well. Very cool, I, I'm, I'm surprised. So I'm, we're, we're standing at this booth here and I'm looking at what is um, it's the IC3000 for industrial compute. Yeah. And when I first came up, I thought it was an IE because I'm like, oh, it's got network ports and it's industrial. It's just a switch, but it's got a computer in it. It is the same form factor. It is also DIN rail mountable. It can use the same power supply as our IE set of DIN rail mountable or our ISA platform as well. So therefore, you could just very easily extend your installation by adding another IC next to it to add more functionalities to your deployments. Very cool. Now, so, all right, this sounds like a very... Um, a great platform for any of those edge computing needs. Um, but I would imagine that most customers, they're probably going to have a need for more than just one. They're going to have various deployments. Um, you know, how would we manage uh, more than one of these devices? Good question. So for the single device management, we have a local manager, a web UI that is running on the device that you can do to do the one-on-one -on -one management. And once you have com configured one platform as you want it to and have the application packaged the right way and test it completed, then you can use different tools to scale out the deployment. On this build here, we show right now the field network director feature or the application for the network director, which we can use to then send or deploy applications and manage applications at scale at thousands and ten thousands of devices in the field at the same time. Very powerful stuff. And um, what are some of the applications or, or um, uh, yeah, what are some of the applications that we can run on this? So the applications will depend extremely on the use case. So we have different verticals we work in, like oil and gas, manufacturing, utilities, road and sites. So it varies by, by area there. One good example I always give is on the road side part, where imagine intersections. There's plenty of intersections in the world, and now the Department of Transportation, the DOTs of the different states, want to see how they can add more features, more security into these intersections. So they put traffic cameras at the intersections to then, for example, count the cars coming by or seeing speed violations and knowing what's going on there. And what they want to do or what they realize is that it's very expensive to backhaul all of the video from all of these different sensors 
at these intersections back to a central station. So therefore, they want to now be able to pre-aggregate all this information and therefore they need edge compute. But the DOT is one of the use cases where we have different, uh, very interesting use cases as well. Uh, one more example I can give is that they, in uh, Texas, they have the, they had challenges with the weather where they had too much fog going on. And with fog, the roads became very dangerous. So what they do now is they dynamically get data from different weather sensors around the area. And then based on the weather, they have thresholds where they define, let's, let's dynamically change the maximum speed. Meaning if there's a high fog area, they reduce the speed by half to prevent accidents. Very powerful stuff. So um, what, what can we run here? Can we, can we run containers on this? What, what, what can we run and, and uh, what are we using to, to manage that? Sure, so our IOX platform can run different application levels on our different platforms. On our router switches and wireless access points, we can run our standard containers. On our industrial compute platform, we can now run brand new native Docker containers. So we just installed our Docker runtime engine in here as well. And this platform is powerful enough to even run full virtual machines as well. So we have the option to run a full Windows or Linux virtual machine on here too. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the, the form factor here. It's the same form factor as an IE 3000. It's, it's you know, maybe seven or eight inches tall here uh, sitting on its back. And it's got four CPU cores, eight gigs of memory, and a 100 gig SD card. So, I mean, this thing can run just about anything maybe, but not crisis. <laughs> yeah, maybe not crisis, maybe not your own server on there. It's not a data center scale, obviously, but it is sufficient for most of our edge compute applications where they need simple data processing of sensor data. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. You too. All right, so I'm here with Sandeep and we're looking at the industrial uh, routing devices that we have and we've got quite a few items here on this table. Sandeep, can you kind of go through and uh, tell our listeners here what we're looking at and uh, what we're doing in the uh, industrial routing space? Sure, Brian. So let me talk about what we have on the industrial routing portfolio here. We have some gateways that have been shipping for a while now, IR829, IR809, and 807. The newest addition to the family right now is our IR1101. This is one of the most compact, low-power, modular LTE design router, which is 5G ready from day one. Okay. This router is, cap this run router is running iOS XE. It is capable of doing SD-WAN as well, and we are going to support SD-WAN on this on next quarter, Q2 of FY20. Okay, so when you say SD-WAN, you're talking the, the telecode. That's correct, yes. Very cool. So we can do Viptela in an industrial, um, industrial form factor, and this can go pretty much anywhere. Yes, absolutely. And another important thing which I said is modular LTE, which is very cool about it, is that we have the LTE module which could be removed from this device. So, in this particular case, this is the LTE module that makes this platform 5G ready. Today we are shipping 4G LTE modules. Tomorrow, we are gonna come up with a 5G module which you can just put in the new. The platform becomes 5G ready for us. And the most important thing there is the module that you see here is shared between the enterprise team and the IoT team. Very cool. I'm noticing a lot of sharing between the enterprise and IoT team. It sounds like you guys are starting to get on the same page, which is which is nice. I mean, you guys are doing the same thing. There's no point in having to uh, reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. So for us, I think the way we look at it is we are, they are, the enterprise team is focused on more indoor, more condition environment, and we are extending the enterprise just beyond the spaces outdoor. If you can imagine that an oil and gas company 
is basically have indoor campus environment and if they want the same sort of SD-WAN or same sort of hardware capabilities in oil, oil pipelines or on pumping station, they can use the same Cisco technology in the extended enterprise use case as well. And it works very well for our customers. Very cool. What else are we looking at here? I see this big white box here that's got some uh, big antennas on here. What is this thing? So this is our CGR1240 device actually. So okay. this is one of our uh, mesh gateway which basically is used in the utility infrastructure for doing automatic metering infrastructure or AMI. So at your houses when you read the meters, we use the mesh technology, all the meter reading comes to this device and this device backhaul this information over LT to the control center in the utilities. Impressive stuff. It's it's really cool to see this stuff. Uh, unfortunately, we're an audio-only podcast, um, but hopefully um, our listeners here can go online, check it out. Is there a, a top-level URL they can go to, like Cisco.com, uh, IoT, or something like that? Yeah, so there is uh, www.cisco.com slash IoT is the top-level URL that you can go and check it out. Perfect. They got it right the first time. Sandeep, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So, Brian... Went through quite a few uh, things there, and it's funny, we came full circle. I didn't even mean to do that, uh, with the extended enterprise piece being the whole idea with IoT now is to really extend the enterprise out into those uncarpeted spaces, right? And it's nice to see both of them coming together. What are your What are your thoughts hearing these? Yeah, honestly, it's one of those things you hear of, and it just, you're like, okay, you kind of shrug, mm-hmm. and you're like, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, why weren't we doing this before, that type of thing. But if you think about it, it's actually pretty amazing, you know? We set up stuff like DNA Center and, you know, Viptela code for, I don't want to say cookie cutter networks, but indoor networks where you're kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Right. And your policies and all that stuff is what sets you apart. But that's not every network out there. So to right. take these concepts and to start extending them to all the different use cases is going to be really important. Yeah, because we have come into issues. I mean, I've got customers that are in gas and oil and, and manufacturing. We do run into those use cases where the right technology for the use case would be a catalyst or something along those lines, but we can't really implement it there because of the environment. Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out, okay, well, we have to figure something out to make that all work. This is kind of starting to marry that. Um, I had The edge computing thing blew me away, personally. I was, I was amazed. This thing looked like an IE3000. It, it looked exactly like it. There was just a couple extra ports in the front of it. But it was it was the same form form factor, and it's it's a decent enough, uh, powerful enough uh, uh, machine. I, I was talking to the guy. I said it's a little bit better than a Raspberry Pi, but not as good as uh, you know like a desktop or a, a UCS blade. And he goes, yeah, pretty much. It, it, it kind of falls into that niche. Um, but being able to run that, you know, the example that he gave, getting all the aggregate data from the cameras mm-hmm. and and process it locally rather than having to backhaul it to some data center that's going to be huge cost savings in terms of bandwidth. Yeah, edge computing is another one where you, you hear about it and you're like, man, why didn't we think of this concept sooner? Like, right. we don't want to backhaul everything to our data center. Some of the stuff, it makes sense to just do right on site. Um, so to have these options available for, you know, ruggedized environments or just different environments in general is awesome because some companies are just going to need to run maybe a print server or something. But some, like you mentioned, want to do some video processing on site, things like that that require a little more compute power. So, Very good stuff. All right, so we got a couple more. Um, this one is actually interesting. The next one, uh, this is about uh, Laura Wan, and I'm just I'm just going to play this one because uh, this one was pretty interesting. So I'm here with Kevin Holcomb, and uh, we are looking at Laura Wan. And uh, Kevin, you want to tell me what Laura Wan is? Sure. 
So LoRaWAN, the LoRa part stands for long range and uses unlicensed spectrum, like in the US that's around the 915 megahertz band. Um, long distance connectivity, so we're talking like two kilometers radius in urban environment, more like 10 kilometers in a, a rural environment. Um, very low data rate, we're talking like little pieces of information that come out infrequently. Uh, and that has to do with the, the battery life of a sensor, right? So we have these sensors that, that sit out there that do things like uh, waste bin detection, you know, how full a waste bin is, uh, parking spots are occupied, and then just general asset tracking for tracking pallets and things like that. Um, so you're talking little messages that just come out infrequently, but uh, super long range. Wow, and this is uh, up to 12 kilometers. Uh, this is omnidirectional. Right, that's correct. So tell me more about the um, the data packets that are that are coming out of this, right? This is not just a, a regular IPv4 uh, packet, right? This is something a little bit different. Right, so what goes across the air will just be LoRa, and then it's going to hit a gateway, and everything above the gateway is, is IP. Okay, so what is it in, uh, in LoRa? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so LoRa is defined by the LoRa Alliance, and it's going to be... Um, it's going to be, uh, the payload will be really small, so like we're talking 20 bytes, maybe even one byte. Um, different sensor manufacturers define the payload differently. Um, so you, your application has to know how to decompose and deconstruct that payload. Fantastic. So um, besides some of the other, some of the use cases you mentioned, um, what else can we use uh, LoRa for? Well, LoRa can be used for a, a lot of use cases. Uh, there's a lot of sensor manufacturers out there, so I mean anything like water leak detection, door open close, like physical security type things, um, rodent and pest control, there's, you know, uh, LoRa connected mouse traps, um, soil moisture, so if you've got like a, a big field, and they, they, make, they make sensors that go down in the ground like a meter, and they tell you the different depths, what the moisture content is, and so now when you're watering your field, you can water just the right amount you know, to not cause runoff and make your uh, fertilizer runoff and things like that, and save money that way. Um, parking sensors, uh, temperature, humidity for things like you know, cold chain environments, you know, with refrigeration, um, occupancy for rooms, about anything you can think of, they make a sensor for it. And that's why it's IoT, right? Internet of Things. Exactly, exactly. Lots of things. So we have, um, is that the lower antenna behind you here? It is, yeah. So this is our, our gateway, Cisco IXM gateway. So this uh, comes in two varieties, a, a 900 uh, megahertz variety and 800 megahertz band, uh, depending on where you are in the world, uh, which geography you're in. Um, yeah, and it just mounted on a pole like here. Typically we have a mast, like the antenna would go on a mast and we'd have a cable going to it, lightning arresters and things like that for an outdoor deployment. Now I heard a rumor that, so this thing is basically about six feet off the ground, so it's not in an ideal environment at all, right? It's, it's low to the ground, it's gonna be subject to all people walking around and all the scaffolding and everything that's around here. Um, I heard a rumor that you uh, you tested the uh, the distance that you could get a, re a reliable signal off of this thing. How far did you uh, get, get out uh, away from this? I did, so I took an RF uh, field test device a few days ago, and I walked as far in this room as I could go. Uh, I'm guessing over a thousand feet through a loading dock door and then 50 feet outside that was as far away as i could get without running into a fence and uh it was still picking up all the way in here and that's with our small antennas 
we actually sell bigger antennas that you typically would use for an outdoor deployment. So yeah, the range is phenomenal. Wow, these are what, 1.6, uh, 1.5 decibel gains? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah so um, that's, that's pretty impressive considering that we're in the Mandalay Bay Convention Center here and we've got a lot of uh, things that generally interfere with uh, any sort of wireless signal. Right, that's right. All right, well, Kevin, thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So yeah, this was this was interesting because this is running in the 900 megahertz band. It's not your standard Wi-Fi connection, right? They they literally call the connections they call them blips, and it's basically just a quick blip on a wire. It can be uh, encrypted. If anyone was to inter intercept this, they wouldn't be able to make heads or tails of it because the payload would be encrypted by some sort of you know depending on what the manufacturer is set up, whatever however the sensor is set up. But they really couldn't make heads or tails of it because they'd have to be able to intercept it at that time. And it's all UDP. It's, it's a, a single direction, right? So that, that sensor sends out that blip for, you know, let's say it's a garbage can, right? It wants to know when it's full. As soon as that, as that sensor triggers, it sends out that blip to that, uh, through that LoRa uh, 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 spectrum or technology. And that's it. There's no, uh, there's, there's no confirmation back. There's no yeah. acknowledgement. I'm thinking just due to the packet size, it's got to be purpose-built for sensors. That makes sense. And then yep. it's got to be like almost binary, like full, not full, if you want pretty that information. Much. Like pretty that's, much. But that's, I mean, that's pretty powerful if you think about all the use cases he was listing. That was Yeah. And even, you know, even if it's not just binary, you know, on or off, right, it, it, it could be a temperature sensor that just sends a reading every hour, mm -hmm. right? There doesn't need to be an acknowledgement going back. I just need to be able to get the data from me to them, and it's, you know, 10 kilometers away, open air, no problem. Um, pretty cool technology. Again, use cases for our customers, maybe not so much, but as, you know, they can put a sensor on just about anything here. And to get 10 kilometers omnidirectional in, you know, an open environment, and then that's with just the regular antennas, um, it, it can be a pretty powerful technology for customers that are looking to incorporate sensors either indoor or outdoor uh, for their environment and to look for something that won't interfere with a lot of, you know, it won't run on the Wi-Fi. Um, and 900 megahertz, it's, it's funny seeing that come back. Obviously, you know, with any wireless propagation, the lower the, the frequency, the further the propagation, but also the lower the bit rate. Mm -hmm. And this is why most of these blips are going to be about 20 bytes. It's, it's not going to be a lot of data. Um, but it's still pretty cool technology that I, I thought was uh, was worth mentioning. Yeah. So, Brian, we talk about all these cool capabilities and things that we can do with IoT. And, of course, the biggest issue with IoT is how to secure all of this stuff, right? So we're uh, I, I was able to meet with um, one of the guys here that we, we talked about how to secure those in industrial networks. And we'll, we'll listen to what he has to say. All right. So now I am here with Dan, and we are looking at securing industrial environments. And Dan, I had the pleasure of um, looking at the IoT Edge Compute um, devices. And I was very impressed with the fact that we could actually provide significantly powerful computing at the edge, right, outside of the environment. Um, but of course, that made me think, well, how do we keep these boxes from just becoming Bitcoin miners that, you know, now I have all these intersections that are just mining Bitcoin for me? How do we, how do, we do that? Sure. So, you know, obviously 
where it really is going to start with is the ability for Cisco devices to have a secure boot, techno secure boot technology, right? The ability to, to make sure that I'm actually running the appropriate operating system and, and really setting the framework for allowing me to have the, the right applications running on that framework, right? Um, now, obviously, once we kind of have that in place, part of the edge compute story is really around the entire application lifecycle management. Right? Right. Um, there's a full uh, suite of tools that are really developed around giving you the ability to deploy applications as well as monitor them, and then of course upgrade them over time and, and make sure that they're running as they should be, or as they're expected to be running. Um, you know, one of the really great examples of a use case that we're actually uh, talking about here today is that we're actually taking that edge compute capability and taking uh, Cisco's CyberVision solution, uh, which essentially is a, a deep packet inspection tool that has the ability to, to take in industrial protocols or take in industrial packets and understand you know, exactly what protocol it's communicating, exactly what information is actually being exchanged between devices. So as we start getting into you know, more industrial use cases, uh, things like manufacturing, oil and gas, and utilities, being able to actually have full visibility into what, what's going across the network um, we're taking those sensors, uh, that CyberVision sensor, and we're actually going to be deploying that as an application in IOX or at the edge compute. Right, so being able to actually have this, this deep packet inspection directly running on the edge in that edge compute platform. Um, so not only being able to secure what application's running on the edge, but also using that application as part of my overall security strategy. That's incredible. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking over here on the board here and I'm seeing you know, ver things that I'm, I'm very used to seeing in the enterprise networking and the security side, right? PX grid, so the integration with ICE and DNA Center, uh, along with host input into Firepower Management Center and Stealthwatch. I was actually going to ask you, what do we have in terms of being able to get uh, NetFlow or, or Stealthwatch data out of these boxes? And it looks like with the Industrial Network Director here, that's that's what's going to be the uh, the aggregator there. Yeah, essentially, so you know, Industrial Network Director and, and also Cisco CyberVision that I mentioned, you know, they're going to have the ability to essentially understand what these devices are, right? Get, get, give me rich contextual information about the assets themselves, and then we're sharing that information via different means, like PX Grid, for example, as you mentioned, to our, our more traditional enterprise type tools, right? So allowing us to start taking our, our rich set of capabilities that we have in the enterprise space and leveraging those in the more industrial areas. Um, you know, we're seeing from a from an industry standpoint. We're really seeing the, the need and, and the continuing uh, growth of IT and operations really working together, right? IT has the, the, the depth and breadth and knowledge when it comes to securing networks, but they're not necessarily going to have the day-to-day the -day understanding of how the process is running or what a PLC should be doing on, a, on Tuesday in the middle of the uh, main shift, right? And so, you know, how can operations have the ability to take their, their skill set, which is understanding exactly what that PLC should be doing, and feed that information or, or that intent, if you will, into our enterprise tools to allow us to start enforcing it across the network? Right, if, we, if we look at in industrial spaces uh, historically, just because of the need for, for quick resolution and for plug and play type capabilities, you know, layer two everywhere has really been the main approach. And, and what's happening is you know, a vendor comes in whose job really is to help fix the process. They come in and do that and plug in their laptop that they're taking from customer to customer. And all of a sudden, my workstation is, is infected. Right? And now, because I have one very large flat layer two network, it spreads like wildfire. And I'm taking devices offline and, and stopping production. Right? So how can we remediate against that or stop that from occurring? And so how can we leverage tools, again, like ICE or Stealthwatch, to give me both visibility as well as control to start you know, limiting the, the, the reach, if you will, of those incidents when they occur. 
you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, we're, we're, Cisco's really being focused on developing tools that are going to enable both sides, right? When, when we talk about IT and operations working together, um, we need to be able to provide visibility and tools that the operations team can use as well. Um, you know, they, they're, obviously their day-to-day -day job is keeping the lights on, keeping the, the machine running. You know, it's the lifeblood of the company. So how do we make sure they're successful while still enabling them by, by bringing the technologies that we're already using in IT and, and giving them that, that rich set of capabilities? Very cool. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. First thoughts come to mind is what you've already said a couple times. Why haven't we been doing this already? Yeah, I'm definitely noticing a theme here, which is just taking Cisco's, you know, backbone concepts and extending them to, you know, niche or different or unique use cases and networks across, you know, different environments. So. Right. N niche and unique, but also vital. Oh, I yeah, mean, definitely. Yeah, Don't any, leave that part out. any any gas oil company or manufacturer will tell you the same thing. It's it's the lifeblood, right? If if that system goes down, if that network goes down, um, that's going to be a problem. And I think I think a big part of it too is the increase in automation that we've seen on things like the manufacturing floor, et cetera. That you know we're using the network a lot more. We're relying on those Internet of Things more. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that Cisco has really put a lot more effort into this. And I think those are the two big themes that I saw was IoT and also the CX stuff, which we're going to get into in a later episode uh, when we meet up with uh, Caitlin. Right. And along the, the lines of security in that uh, clip we just listened to, it's, um, I don't know, I was laughing. I hear about security with IoT. Obviously, they're going to be vulnerable. Um, you know, video cameras are one of the number one en entry points um, in a customer's network. But every time I hear that of that, I think of the scene from uh, Silicon Valley where they hack a uh, refrigerator to like provide extra compute for their their server uh, their server farm. Yep. And I don't know, just that was makes a great scene too. Because didn't they like lose the entire server? For, like they were trying to move it in the back of the truck, and it ended up everything was still in all the refrigerators. It just basically spread like a virus. And yeah, exactly. All they, their data was in the refrigerator. Yeah, they used malware to take over all of their refrigerators <laughs> and and just use that compute power. So. Yeah, it's it's scary. I mean, there's there's cer certain things that you don't want connected to the internet. I mean, I'm 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 fearful of the day that my peer, my pool pump turns on by itself, uh, you know, outside of the schedule because someone hacked into it because it's connected to my Wi-Fi. But I do have firepower at home, so I should be okay. Um, let's take a, a moment to take a step uh, out of the 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 normal here, and this was a a, a fun booth to go check out. So this is um, the next person we're going to hear from is going to talk to us about Cisco Vision, which uh, I'll let him explain it, but I um, thought it would be a pretty cool thing to uh, to check out. So let's listen to what he has to say. All right, I'm here with Ed Olson, and we are in um, a section of the hub right now where we're talking about uh, Cisco Vision, which of course is going to be a little bit of a different, uh, difficult thing to talk about on an audio-only podcast. Um, but Ed, um, what's your title, and uh, tell me a little bit about this. Sure. Uh, I am, for the Cisco Vision team, and we also call the sports and entertainment team, I am the global content and ROI strategist for the group. And what that simply means is I work with our customers to help them better understand how the technology can drive experience, but also can drive revenue because it is a revenue center with digital signage these days and the ability to communicate. We call it the ability to influence, educate, and activate. Okay, very cool. So now, Cisco Vision, uh, what's its history? Where, where do we start? Well, Cisco Vision was actually the first digital signage solution that Cisco put together that was industry-focused. At that time, 12 years ago, uh, it's a little-known fact that Cisco was actually making a deal with the Oakland A's to trade them some property that Cisco owned so that they could build a new uh, stadium in the South Bay, and it was going to be called Cisco Field. 
So at that time, John Chambers went to uh, Ken Martin, who runs the group and who's uh, my boss, and said, we need to come up with some sports technology because if we're going to have the naming rights on a stadium, we want to focus in on what Cisco could provide them to uh, create uh, solutions to any of the problems or, or pain points that they might have. Long story short, the Major League Baseball stepped in and said they didn't have rights to the South Bay that the Giants did. That project died, but out of that whole uh, uh, episode in Cisco's history came the sports and entertainment team, which developed a product called Stadium Vision. So 12 years ago, Stadium Vision was launched. Our first few customers were folks like the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Yankees. And since then now, we've uh, amassed over 125, 130 sports teams worldwide. But we changed the name about five years ago to Cisco Vision because we found that we had one of the most robust digital signage IPTV solutions in the world that can not only do IPTV and, and digital signage, but any size video wall, any type of interactive kiosk with multi-touch. So we opened and expanded our, our solution to casino hospitality, retail, transportation hubs, smart buildings, oil and gas, uh, and had to change the name because if I'm a casino, nobody wants to talk to a product called you know, uh, Stadium Vision. So now it's called Cisco Vision, and here as we stand in Las Vegas, we now are, uh, support every single screen that you'll see through all eight of the MGM casinos, including the Bellagio, uh, you know, Circus, or uh, New York, New York, uh, Mandalay Bay, uh, the MGM Grand, etc., and also T-Mobile Arena, and some of the new builds that we have here in and around Las Vegas from a sports standpoint that I can't talk about quite yet, but you could probably figure it out. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so we, you mentioned um, a revenue driver when we were talking earlier, um, signage being a real revenue driver. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about that and how that works? Sure. The great thing about digital signage is it's truly the great communication vehicle. So when you have any mass of, of whether it be customers, fans, guests, uh, folks who are travelers, right? When they're basically consolidated in an area where there's a large amount of them, you have the ability to communicate to that entire base and it goes back to that influence, educate, and activate. It's a great advertising vehicle, whether you wrap an L-wrap around a game feed. Uh, we found a 53 to 80% retention rate. When fans get out of their seats, they go into the concourses for food or beverage, and they go and they look at those screens because they're watching the game. And they have the passion of the fan to watch the game, and by doing so, they're gonna absorb the messaging on those screens. So whether you're in an airport and you're getting exposed to messaging there, transportation hubs, casinos, etc., I can basically give you options of what to do, where to go, help to basically increase your the value of your experience there. And what's really powerful is just like a mobile device, the screens are all based on where they're located and the time of your operational hours or your time of your business day. And what, what is the right content to change the experience for your guest, your fan, your traveler. And because we can do all that, it becomes an incredibly powerful tool to drive revenue. And specifically now when you add like facial recognition and video analytics, I can make it very, very uh, targeted as uh, opposed to the more generalized advertising that most channels will provide you. Very cool. So where can my listeners go to learn more and, and kind of see what this is all about? Well, if you go to Cisco.com and you search Cisco Vision, you'll see our whole new web presence that we've put together recently. We've done an update with a lot of new materials, a lot of case study videos from customers all around the world, from the MGM folks to people like Melbourne Cricket Ground over in Australia, uh, to Real Madrid over in Europe, 
uh, across the Americas. We have the 49ers, uh, we have the, the Rams and Chargers now in their new uh, uh, sports and entertainment district that they're opening in Los Angeles, Expo 2020 uh, over in Dubai. So we have a global presence. We have a lot of great information. And of course, through that uh, web portal, you can download information, you can watch videos, and of course, you can reach out to us and, and request a demo that we can then do for you either remotely through WebEx or Telepresence or invite you into our lab or into our briefing center uh, in San Jose or anywhere in the world so that we can present to you not only this solution but some of the companion solutions uh, like our DNA Spaces, which is our Wi-Fi onboarding that works together with our solution, which creates a true any glass type uh, scenario and some of our other uh, like high density Wi-Fi projects and things that when combined together create the ultimate communication and engagement platform. Very cool. Thank you very much for your time, Ed. And we'll talk about getting one of these in my house before the next Super Bowl. Absolutely. We're here for you. Thanks. So a little different. Something uh, something a little different. Yeah, very unique and uh, great timing for the podcast since we're wrapping up week one of the NFL season this week. So Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, so if you're in a stadium um, like the ones that he mentioned or you're down in um, Las Vegas, any of the MGM uh, properties there, any of the digital signage that you see is Cisco Vision. And again, this is a niche product, um, not something that a lot of the customers that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis may see, but something that's really unique and good to know that Cisco does cover this yes, as well. it's definitely something that you wouldn't think of Cisco doing, but uh, it's a cool story. Cool. All right, so we are always talking about security, it seems, and I did get a chance to talk with a couple people that were uh, hosting some security booths, uh, both Duo and Firepower, so we'll, uh, we'll listen to those. So I'm here with Carl Lewis from the Duo team. And uh, Carl, tell me a little bit about Duo. I know we've been uh, talking about it lately in our podcast, uh, most recently, episode 16 about uh, Zero Trust. And we specifically called out Duo as really um, an easy way to get in and start going down that Zero Trust road. So tell me a little bit about Duo. Yeah, sure. So I think most people hear about Duo, or if you just Google it, you find it. It's a multi-factor authentication solution. And that's what we started as, but we actually do quite a bit more than that. So specifically around the zero trust conversation, we believe the threat vector we're trying to solve right now is identity, right? So if we can secure identity across any application, no matter what location you're coming from, and from any device, we're really moving towards that zero trust architecture as opposed to the traditional kind of perimeter-based approach. Right. And it was funny, we were just talking about that in the security breakout session where um, just guarding the door, taking tickets at the door, it's it's not enough. That's the, yeah. the way we've been doing it, right? The, the hard outer shell and the soft gooey center. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to continually verify identification. So what are some of the use cases that uh, you can use Duo with? Yeah, so a lot of the use cases I like to start with is saying, hey, what's something that's publicly available? Because then that threat vector really opens up with usernames and passwords, right? So think about VPNs, think about Office 365, think about cloud applications. If you can introduce MFA there, you're really solving a lot of the threat out there today, right? So. And what's the basis of MFA for those that just don't know what MFA is? Yeah, so the, the whole idea of that is using one form of authentication, usually something you know, like a username and password, it's not enough. So we're going to require some additional factor, a factor being something you are or something you have. So at Duo, we offer a lot of different authentication methods for you to get into an application. So what we do is say, okay, username and password, now also present your mobile device and approve a push, or use a YubiKey as a hardware token. And that's how we're going to establish that trust. Very cool. Carl, thank you very much for uh, talking with me today, and uh, best of luck to you. Yeah. Thanks, man. No problem. No problem. 
All right, I'm here with Nicholas Carreri, and he is a senior PM for Firepower. Nicholas, uh, why don't you tell us what we're, uh, what we're looking at today? So we got a couple demos up today. We're looking at uh, CDO here on the left side, and on the right side we have some things going on with 6.4 and 6.5. Awesome. So we've, uh, in our podcast, we've kind of talked about next generation firewall, touched on uh, Firepower, we've touched on Meraki, kind of the differences between the two. Um, I'd love to hear more about CDO. I know it's, um, it's a tool that's been around for a while, but it's recently gotten a nice uh, facelift and a lot more capabilities behind it. Can you uh, talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. So uh, CDO, a lot of good stuff happened this week. We actually turned on the, the logging feature. Uh, so we're doing SAL now uh, as well inside CDO. Uh, and we did get a big boost inside CDO this year. So talking about Meraki, Cloud Native Firewall and AWS, and of course, FTD. Nice. And to, uh, to clarify, CDO is the Cisco Defense Orchestrator, and this is the cloud-managed solution that allows you to connect to your on-prem hardware, uh, ASAs, FTD, uh, Meraki, I believe now, yep. um, and uh, ISRs as well, right? That's correct. Very cool. Um, so tell us what we've got going on on uh, 6.4. So in 6.4, we did a lot. We started uh, investing a lot more in the NetOps side of the house. So we started bringing in uh, features like uh, hit counts inside the access control list, uh, changing how we did the upgrades, getting better deployment times, and really helping from that perspective. And I have to say, I've, I've used the hit counter on uh, my deployment in my home lab, and I found it very useful to be able to find out and weed out those ACLs that you're not using anymore, <laughs> yeah. or that you know there's an ACL above it that's knocking it out before it gets down. So very, very useful stuff. Um, and I know we have the new Firepower uh, 1000 series. This has launched since the um, since we talked about next generation firewall. Can you give me a little bit of rundown on that hardware? Yeah, so on the new 1010s, we actually did a, a full portfolio refresh. So we did the 1010s, the 1100s, um, as well as the new 4100 series and the new 9300 SMs. And the price performance is fantastic. We see all the different, I don't know if you've seen how many, like three to five X performance gain, either, even on the TLS side of the house. The 1010's fantastic. We, you know, we finally got a new small box out to the customers uh, to replace the 5506. We have enough horsepower in it now to run the new FTD, so it's uh, very good. We've had some very good feedback out of the gate. It'll be running ASA code at the end of the year here. Uh, well, actually, the next release in September uh, for 9.13. Awesome. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm very happy about the 10.10 coming out. It was a little heartbreaking to see the 55.06 and, and 55.12 not really be able to, to cut it on the latest, uh, was it 6.3 that kind of... 6.23 was the cutoff. 6.23. And now we have POE again as well. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, so the hardware refresh on the 4000 series and um, the 9000 series, um, definitely some increase in performance, uh, good price points as well. Um, I was shocked by the TLS numbers. Those were those blew me away. Yeah, not only, we're, we're doing a lot of work on the back end from engineering on validating those numbers now, even so much so that they're on our data sheet. So we have TLS numbers that we publish that are certified and tested uh, given the testing uh, scenarios. So Very cool. Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, have a good one. Anytime. Thanks, guys. So yeah, I think, I don't know if you had a chance, Brian, to look at the, the data sheets on these uh, Firepower, the new, the new 1000 series. The TLS numbers are through the roof. I mean, we're talking three to four times what they normally were in terms of just being able to uh, inspect TLS and SSL traffic. It was just very, very surprising. Yeah, the power of upgraded hardware. That's nice. And Mo Moore's Law at its finest, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it just, you know, POE and, you know, a replacement for the 5506s is really nice as well because, you know, if, you're, if you have a smaller branch and you just need to stick a box out there, 
it's nice to have something that slots in there. Yeah, and it was it was really as I said, it was really sad to see the fifty five oh six and the fifty five twelve not being supported when uh, we went to the next version. As I said, six two three was that cutoff, uh, and it was it was a RAM limitation, and those boxes are are limited in what they they can't they're not upgradable. That we we can't add another uh, RAM module in there. Um, and we've run into this issue with a couple other things as we start to increase um, the the performance of the box and, and add new features. We sometimes run into some hardware limitations. Uh, so it took a little while, but we we did get the 1000 series out. The 1010 is a is a fantastic replacement for the 5506, and the other 1000 series really kind of fill in that gap between what used to be like a 5512, 5516, and a 2110. Uh, 2110 still being uh, very very powerful boxes. Mm-hmm. The 2110 I think is a uh, one about one gigabit of throughput. Um, but when you have customers that they want like the six seven hundred range, they don't necessarily want the one gig. The 1000 series definitely fills in that gap. Um, so definitely, if it's something you're looking at, uh, if you're up for a firewall refresh, um, you haven't thought of uh, Cisco in a while, check it out. Take a look at what we've got to offer, and uh, I think you'll find that we have the the hardware to fit into your use case. So the last bit that we want to do here, um, I tried to meet with Mitch Neff from the Talos team. I, I ran into him uh, in Vegas. And I was surprised to see him there. He was just sh- shocked to be there. <laughs> I think he took a wrong turn at Reno. And um, we got an opportunity to talk, but we didn't have the opportunity to record anything while he was there. And because of Hurricane Dorian coming into Florida, where he lives. He did uh, want. He left early to rush back home to make sure that uh, he got a chance to batten down the hatches uh, before the hurricane hit. So we got a chance to uh, meet up with him after the fact, remotely, and uh, have a few minutes just to talk about uh, Talos and what he's been up to lately. So here's that. All right, I'm here with uh, Mitch Neff. Mitch, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, we didn't get an opportunity to speak in Vegas because of the uh, the weather that was uh, coming down on the East Coast, and I know you had to fly home early, but I'm glad to hear that everything is is good back home. But uh, thank you for taking the time to meet with me after Impact. And uh, Mitch, you are um, you're on the Talos team with Cisco, and I know that we've mentioned you guys quite a bit, uh, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of talk about Talos and what it is you guys do over there. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure to be here. And yeah, I'm glad we we do finally get a chance to uh, we do finally get a chance to chat without the threat of a hurricane bearing down on us here. So, uh, and and fortunately, the hurricane did miss us pretty much entirely. So we kind of lucked out on that one. But it's a it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. So you got you have been with Talos for how long now? I've been on the Talos team for. Just at about three years now, uh, okay. I've been inside. I've been at Cisco for almost seven, and I, I've been on the Talos team for about three years. Okay, so you weren't part of the. I know. I know the Talos team was kind of made up of of two pieces. Um, the from parts from the acquisition of Sourcefire, and then parts from internal Cisco team. So you were on the Cisco side when that when that kind of came together to be Talos, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was. So, and, and you're absolutely right. It's actually three pieces. Um, so the, the Sourcefire VRT group, when we, when Cisco made the Sourcefire acquisition, joined forces with Cisco Track and the Ironport SecAx group. So those three teams came together to form what we know today as Talos. 
Very cool. And and that makes sense too. the iron port being both the email and the web security piece uh, that, that came in from that acquisition. Absolutely. Uh, and that makes sense considering those are still some of the biggest, uh, especially email, still the number one uh, attack vector out there uh, in terms of uh, infecting our, our customers, et cetera. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what Talos does and maybe what your role within Talos plays? Sure. Uh, so my my job at Talos is I handle all of our media marketing comms activities. That's what my group does. Uh, I work inside the what's called the communities group at Talos. And so we handle all of that, plus our design and branding and also all of our open source activity from the uh, you know handling the, the business side of Snort to working a lot on the, uh, we have a, a, an entire web dev group as well inside there. So that handles all of the web properties for both Talos and all of our open source projects, all located within within the communities group. Talos as a whole is um, really, we, we kind of look at it as like the, the nerve center of the Cisco security portfolio, right? So inside all of these different solutions and different products that Cisco security offers, uh, what lies behind that is a deep layer of threat intelligence and research. And that's what gives us, um, you know, that's what really gives us a, a big competitive advantage is the, the visibility, intelligence and response that Talos brings to those products. So being Cisco, uh, you know, we have a huge, huge install base. So we get a ton of visibility from all the telemetry that we get coming back in from, from all over the world. Uh, add to that, we have a, a massive set of honeypots and deception systems located all over the globe. We have a massive amount of intelligence partnerships, uh, individual researchers, different groups like the Cyber Threat Alliance and, and different... Um, you know, ISACs and, and different groups around the world that we we share intelligence with. So that kind of visibility and that kind of information coming in uh, just gives us this this huge body of of things to deal with. And and we talked about like uh, Ironport earlier. Um, just like just the email telemetry we get from from Ironport alone is is absolutely massive, right? Add to that all the DNS stuff from Umbrella and all the other you know just the the myriad solutions that we have. We have an absolute ton of data coming in that we get to look through and find things that are new, novel, and interesting. Um, you know, 99.9% of what we see is stuff we've seen before. So it, you know, it's not that interesting. We already know how to block this. We already know how to handle this. We already know how to do the thing that we're supposed to do with, with that. But that 0.1% or that point, maybe even 0.01% of brand net new, novel, and interesting things is, is really where Talos seems to shine, right? It's distilling that out of that massive amount of data and being able to distill, uh, you know, take the intelligence out of that and turn it into something actionable we can push out as a product update to Cisco security customers. That's an incredible uh, uh, explanation of, of what Talos does. And I know that there's a lot of different pieces here. We just talked about uh, uh, ingesting some of the telemetry, but I know that I think Nigel runs the, uh, the kind of the malware poking and prodding uh group i'm sure there's a more that's a uh, <laughs> professional Chris Marshall, name to that actually. Marshall oh it's actually chris runs, yeah he runs detection research uh nigel runs our operations team so his primary job is securing talos which is uh, probably the most thankless job of the whole bunch <laughs> <laughs> no wonder he's so grumpy on the podcast really yeah it makes sense now doesn't it <laughs> it, it totally makes sense but um definitely uh 
check out the Beers with Talos podcast where you can hear uh, Mitch, Joel. Uh, let me see if I can if I can remember now. You got Mitch, Joel, Nigel, Martin. No, Martin. Here's a Martin. Nope, Martin's been on, but there's Matt and Craig. Matt yeah. and Craig. Okay, definitely uh, check out that that podcast and listen to those guys uh, rant, rave, and I, I love it when uh, when the guys get on uh, <laughs> get on a a bender there and just keep going on something that that's uh, driving them nuts. It's, you it's would not believe how much of that actually hits the editing room floor. I, I there are some episodes oh, that sure. we go for two hours, and I'm like, you know what? I think we're gonna we're gonna cut about half of this. <laughs> I cannot imagine the uh, beers with Talos backstage episode that uh, that would be probably Ooh, a pretty fireable, one, I'm sure. <laughs> well, um, there's a running joke that I have all of that saved up joke with air quotes uh, that I have all that <laughs> saved up someplace with a dead man switch attached to it. And that's pretty much my job security. So nice. And then they get, I guess they were really nervous when, the, when they saw the hurricane coming to, towards you. Hey, can I get that password? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to getting you guys on for a proper episode uh, to really kind of go through the ins and outs of what you see. Um, anything new upcoming that we can uh, we can tease our um, our audience with uh, from from the Talos team or nothing we can talk about you just yet? We have a couple very exciting things coming up. Uh, one of them is going to be seen sooner than the other. Um, but we we talked a little bit about uh, you know the the visibility, intelligence, and response that we have. But uh, we're we're looking to add uh, new avenues for our for Cisco security customers to be able to interface with Talos, and we're going to have some big announcements coming the first week of November on new and different ways that our customers are going to be able to interface directly with us. Um, and what we found is that when uh, somebody has an incident or when there's a problem, uh, obviously you know they they need some kind of instant response. And it would be, you know, in everybody's best interest to keep that response as close to the intelligence as possible. So stay tuned for some some really exciting announcements coming around that in November. Uh, and then, well, I, I can't tease this one too much because we're really in the like the infancy of the planning stages of this. Uh, but we have maybe some of the most exciting stuff that we've done externally coming to uh, DEF CON next year. So... Stay tuned. Very cool. That's going to be exciting stuff. Uh, also, we have a new episode of Beers with Talos coming out soon, so make sure to tune in for that. It is uh, probably the most fun I've ever had doing an extra after-hours project, and we're in, I think, episode 61 now. Uh, so we've been doing that for about two years, and it's it's a ton of fun. And if you haven't checked out our podcast, absolutely check that out. Matter of fact, we should have you on. I'd be more than happy to come on. You tell me when and where I'll be there. We should. And actually, I talked to Craig the other day, and he wants to come on your podcast. So, awesome. I I, I think it's uh, I think it's great. You guys were definitely the inspiration to get me to do this. Uh, we're not into episode sixty something yet, but uh, we're getting there. I definitely appreciate your support, Mitch, personally, uh, with uh, helping me out with with this and for coming on the show. Very happy to be here, and thank you again for the invite. Pretty cool stuff, huh? It is good stuff, man. What a nice guy, and yeah. I, I I liked the bit where you uh, mentioned him as the inspiration for the podcast. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, um, it was it was beers with Talos that uh, kind of got me got this idea going, as as well as a couple other things, and uh, it's been uh, it's been fun. I mean, we're episode uh, what is this eighteen now? So, uh, but yeah, just 
Speaking about Talos in general, I mean, the way he put it was was really good. You know, 99% of the stuff out there, I don't want to say we don't care about it, but it's known. Right. Uh, you incorporate that into your security patches. As long as you're maintaining those, you're set. It's right. the, the 0.001%, the, the time between new malware and new vulnerabilities coming out right. to getting those patched and, and finding workarounds and things like that, that is essential. And that's exactly what where, where Talos shines and, you know, it's their primary function as far as I'm aware. So. And that's why there's no silver bullets. If you listen to their intro, their, the Beers with Talos intro, it, it, it says right in there, no silver bullets. Like, there are no silver bullets with security because there are so many threat uh, vectors. There are so many methods of attack. And interestingly enough, the 99% of stuff that he's seen, the the obvious part of that is that people are reusing the same old hacks because people don't patch. There are systems out there that are still vulnerable because they're untouched or the they were set up as a maybe a, a test a test bed and never turned off. They weren't properly secured, and that's a, a, a way in. There's a million different ways that an attacker can get into a network because of all these things that we make public. I mean, we talked about IoT, IoT being one of the probably the, the biggest, uh, most vulnerable pieces there because of the fact that just by its definition, it's on the edge. It's mm-hmm. on. It's at the internet. Um, so it's it's really cool to to talk with Mitch, and I'm looking forward to uh, you know maybe getting on their podcast some point and definitely having them on ours. Uh, we'll definitely work on getting Craig in, and uh, probably after their November announcement, talk more about what's involved there. Um, but really cool stuff. Anything, uh, Brian, you want to share from your experience at Impact that we didn't capture with this? No, it was a good time. I mean, like you mentioned, the hub, you know, just seeing all of the the Internet of Things presence and then some of the other products that are coming out to be able to see them in person, really cool stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think, that again, the, the two big things that were really um, sh- uh, had, had a big showing in Vegas was IoT and CX, which is our customer experience program. Uh, we're going to get the opportunity on uh, a couple episodes to speak with Caitlin, uh, who we've used before to getting information, and we're, now we're going to have her on the on the show and really talk about that. And uh, this is part one of a two-part series. Next episode is going to be our uh, finishing uh, part of this, our second part of this. And I'm really excited about it because this is going to be a little different. We're not actually going to talk about any technology to, uh, next time. We're going to talk about the behind-the-scenes stuff that really makes Cisco a, a responsible corporation. Um, it's its really cool stuff. I'm, I'm really excited about this. And we have an interview with uh, with someone that uh, is really near and dear with the SE community uh, at large here at Cisco. Uh, but I'm going to save that all for next time. And um, looking looking forward to sharing that with you all. And uh, can't wait to, to check that out. So, Brian, thank you for your time today. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to Conf T with your SE. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you can get notified when we publish an episode every two weeks. Show notes for this episode and every episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config.